So I want to open up with progression is not the same as progressive overload. This is important to know because a lot of times we think that making some sort of progression from one week to the next is just this very nebulous and not important thing. And I'll be honest, I, I really think it's an important distinction. It's not semantics. It's not just trying to force something in terms of verbiage. And, and what we talked about is just like we were going to talk about progression, there's a difference between complicated and complex. It's a difference between simple and complicated. There's a difference between all of the things we can progress. So therefore, this one needs to have some sort of some sort of difference from the rest of of the actual uh, principle, specifically progressive overload. The definition of progression. This is from NSEA. In order to achieve a desired training adaptations for a certain activity or skill, the training stimulus must gradually and constantly increase. This implies that there is an optimal level and time frame for the overload to occur. If overload increases too quickly, poor technique, improper muscle fibering, firing patterns, and injury may result. If overload progresses too slowly, improvement, improvements will be minimal or not non existence. Rest and recovery must also be included in your progression as a training training hard all the time will result in chronic fatigue, a decreased performance, and or injury. For example, at the beginning of a training program, an athlete may progress from doing three sets of 135 and then progress to doing accomplishing a load of 145. The idea behind this, progress, this progression uh, example in my mind, from NSEA, feels awfully similar to progressive overload. And I think it's a really good opportunity for me to kind of elucidate really what progression is for someone who has to think about this actively and is doing this at a common, a common clip with, with training. One of the forefathers of making progression would obviously be Mike Boyle. And one of the areas that he would always talk about within functional training for sport and then designing weight rooms and all of his stuff is having this idea of where the roadmap should take you. You know, what is the point of an exercise and how does that lead into another one where, you know, a guy like Charles Poliquin, I think was brilliant in layering protocols and block emphasis, whether it's volume or intensity and trying to put in protocols and, and methods to leverage that. I think Mike was equally as equally as thoughtful and innovative with progressing an exercise from one to the next. You know, so like, like a classic progression of going from a split squat to a single leg squat to a pistol, or you know, how do we get you know, someone to do a hang clean. Like, let's start to look at hands-free front squat. Let's start to look at uh, RDL. Let's start to look at barbell patterning and then progressing that into a hang clean. You know, this this idea of where is it that I want to be? And this is also too, and I've been, I've been open about this. I do think there's some faults in Charles Poliquin's idea of progression. You know, I, I would say like something along the lines of Olympic lifts, he was a big piece by piece, and it would manifest into 
something different, right? So for instance, a progression for Olympic lifts would be like block deadlift, snatch grip deadlift, RDL, and then block clean or block snatch. In my opinion, that doesn't work. It doesn't work like that. And I would say I get the idea where he's building the raw machinery. The motor pattern is just too robust and the motor pattern is just too much. And goes into this other big concept of progression in general of this top down, bottom up. Like, are we, are we trying to figure out where they're at and piecing together a progression to meet that person where they're at? So if let's say they have a high motor IQ and they pick things up really quickly and they are out there, folks, they really are. There are people out there who can see and do. There are people out there who can hear and do. There are people out there who don't even need to see or hear, just know how to do. How does your progression match their biomechanics? I would say that's where it comes into. You need to develop the infrastructure of that skeletal system and that muscular system to meet them where they're at. Right, They might be able to do the motor pattern with precision and excellence without much motor development or motor progression, but they lack the prerequisite tensile strength and, and overall just skeletal or axial structure to be able to support some of these loads that we'll train at. Conversely, the rest of us, normal, non-athletic, regular people, aka NARPs, are going to be more on the line of, I need to have a foundational, simple, executable motor pattern before I start to get really in the weeds with that more that more nuanced one. And if you've ever followed weightlifting, it's kind of the difference between Bulgarian and Russian model. It's top down for the Bulgarian, so we're gonna finish with the movement and then go into uh, piecing together certain aspects of strengthen Versus the Russian model is everyone starts in the same spot and then just progresses through to the end. So start off with front squat, start off with RDL, and then progression-wise start with block, block or snatch, or block clean or snatch, and then progress down to the ground and then progress into the full movements. And this is actually what USAW really bases their whole weightlifting progression off of. And then you kind of look at the same thing in track and field, right? Let's start to think about that. You know, where uh, we, we've talked about a strength deficit, sh short to long, long to short. But let's say that we took this approach of someone slow and we start to drill certain aspects of the movement, right? The, the idea is, is the aggregate the sum of its parts, right? And I think there's some people who detest, who would detract from that logic, especially you were working with a lot of track and field athletes, you know, fast as fast as like their, their mindset and doing like an A skip or B skip or anything that's, anything that's biomechanic or motor focused, right? Can I work on front side or backside mechanics in isolation? Can I work on arm action in isolation? Would, would be this, would be this, uh, short-sighted approach to developing track and field because the reality is, is most people's biggest limiting factor is going to be tensile strength of of soft tissues, specifically hamstring or calf or gastroc. And when they're running at full speed, these are the tissues that are most vulnerable and this is where they get hurt. And that's going to be the biggest limiting factor, aka or the other end is their capacity to handle high intensity loads, right? So, you know, this idea of do I need to work on VO2 max and develop their capacity to handle high intensity 
for multiple bouts within a training session or multiple f- sessions within a microcycle. You know, I think that's where most of the pr- most of the thought process goes into. Again, this is this very like a very absolute approach of you're fast or you're not or you're not fast in weightlifting. It's like you either are twitchy or you're not, and you can't build the motor pattern and hope. But I think there's detractors from this methodology, and I think there's obviously exceptions to those rules. So it's not necessarily like this binary thing. You know, Bud Schroeger wrote this book called Mas- The Masculization of Sport, and essentially just the, the Chinese have cracked the code to making it more biomechanically efficient and opened the floodgates and now having really high-level weightlifters who are just better because they're just more efficient, right? The idea is, hey, either we could pull the bar up higher or we could drop a lower, and Chinese weightlifting has essentially said it's probably better for the larger sum of the people to drop lower. Because you don't have to pull the bars high, you don't have to be as strong, or you don't have to be as mechanically as efficient. Right? Like the genetic leverage that you have from short, short legs and long torso for cleans, or vice versa for snatch, or you know, people who are just extremely fast switch. You know, the, the people that are jumping 30, 30 inches at 8 years old. You know, like the, the, the genetic freaks of the world that early selection will put them into their category and start to those who stay will be champions kind of mindset goes into this like, OK, well, they are what they are and they're genetically supposed to be what they're supposed to be without any like any any impact from a coach from improving or focusing on technique. It's just about training, right? Like just develop the biomotor and nothing else matters. But we know that's not necessarily the case. But I guess that's a good segue. Because if we're looking at it from what progressions really are, it really comes down to it's more biomechanically influenced. right? Physiologically, I'm thinking it's progressive overload. And then progression is probably more along the lines of biomechanical. right? And we'll go through what the big four are. But if we're thinking about it, it's your ability to do the motor pattern determines whether you progress from that motor pattern, right? It's not your strength levels. It's not your, your intensity. It's not your, your hope. It's bottom line, simply put, it's can you do the movement, yes or no? And it might be a prerequisite range of motion or control or presence of pain. It might be just the, the, the coordination or the awareness. It might be just the synchronous the synchronicity of doing a multi-joint movement pattern at high speeds with multiple inputs simultaneously like an open environment, that makes it really challenging. But the big progressions really are, when we look at it from all the things being considered, is simple before complicated or complex, uh, lighter before heavier, slow before fast, stable before unstable. That's the big four in my mind, right? That's the things that you should be thinking about with anything. And when we're thinking about the ultimate end goal, it's relative to the start. It's relative to what the actual goal is, right? So if I have someone who has a lot of pain, if I have someone who has a lot of motor deficiencies, if I have someone who has a lot of biomotor deficiency, or if I see someone that quite frankly just doesn't have their life together, short-term objectives probably outweigh long-term objectives. Can I make that person simply just one step closer today? 
Can I make them just a little bit better? Can I get them more confident and more capable than they were yesterday? I think you have to have this perspective to say, today's short-sighted or fo focus. Like, we need to make sure that this person has a great day today. That's it. Versus, hey, I got someone who I know what they're going to, I know what they are and I know what they need to be. I'm going to look at a, maybe a four-year quadrennial cycle, right? Like, I have kids. I'm thinking about their long-term athletic development. I don't know if they'll manifest in that, but I'm thinking about it. I do have a lot of control on the environment. And that's something important to think about. Because if you have a person that's in pain or just in disarray, who cares about what the end goal of them being able to do snatch or clean and jerk? It's, you just need to get them back in two days, make sure they get another training session this week. Short-sided versus long-sided is situational dependent. Go back to our coaching module. We'll talk about first, first order, second order consequences. You know, first order is going to be more physiological need, like we're going to need to, like Maslow hierarchy needs to survive. Second order is going to be more of this like higher level enlightened type of, it's, it's the hope, it's the, the vision, it's thinking about yourself as the best version you could possibly be, not necessarily where you're at right now to survive. And that takes a little bit less, a little bit less emergency and a little bit more, just element of grind or element of, of precision and earnestness that you're going to push through for a long period of time. So let's break these down. Simple before complicated or complex. And I broke those into two categories, but complicated and complex. Complicated is a logical, is a sequence, predictable sequence, but it may be a long and, and draw an arduous sequence, but it's, it's somewhat predictable, right? A puzzle is predictable because we do know what that puzzle will look like at the end. Versus complex, it's unpredictable. There's no set path. So take that puzzle and just subtract all of the things and just put the colors together. It's just a blank canvas, right? I'm either painting a mural or I'm putting a puzzle together. So in regards to where we start and where we end, right? There's either I'm adding more steps or I'm moving to a unpredictable or I'm moving to something with no steps altogether. And... This may seem like a big, far-reaching far continuum, but that's the truth, right? And when we're looking at it from a lot of things we do from a progression, I want to either add more steps, right? So let's say that I'm doing a, a simple uh, L-drill progression, right? So it's five, five yards back, five yards, turn right, go underneath the cone, make a, make a U around the cone, and then sprint back through the original start line. So maybe I just start with five and back, right? So hard line touch with the right hand, sprint back. And then maybe I progress that to hard line touch, hard line touch, so five, back, stop. Maybe I progress that into five, back, five. Right, so I sprint five, touch the line with my right hand, sprint five, touch the, touch the original line with my right hand, and then I sprint through the second line, that, that, that first line in front, right? All right, then maybe I progress into turn right. So five back, five back, five, turn right, sprint through. And then I progress into that. Let's just start working into that, that circle. And I start to make work on that L turn and I break that into its own individual compartmentalized part. And then I start to put it together. 
right? And I start to give some sort of constraints and I start to go, okay, here's how it's going to go. I'm going to put a cone here and, and I'm going to give a, I'm going to stand here. And you're basically just giving a lot of external constraints to control that environment to make sure that they're having success. Versus the other end, it's like, okay, we're going to go play tag today. What would be the difference between complicated versus complex? You're just going to play tag and there's no way I could predict this. And I'm going to basically come back and say, all right, you were prepared or you're not. Maybe you got hurt or maybe you just got exposed on how unathletic you are. Okay, you have a lot of things to consider when you're approaching that kind of thought. But where we start is, okay, well, what can you do today? Can you touch a five-yard line? Can you touch a line? Can you, can you turn right? Can you turn left? Can you, can you come from a three-point stance or a two-point stance? Okay, we've got a lot of things to think about. And then as I start to move forward, we're basing our progression from either into a, a complicated direction, so I'm just adding more steps, or a complex where I am going into these, these really like stress tests and saying, okay, like we're gonna play tag or we're gonna play a small sided game where you're reacting to your environment. And I wanna see what you do. But as we start to move through those, there's, there's infinite ways to think about it. And I don't know if there's a right one or a wrong one. And I'm not sitting here and telling you there is. But again, we go back to that top down, bottom up. Uh, if you have that genetic freak, you need to develop the biomotor. Maybe, just maybe, you want to be very conservative and looking at it from complex environments. Might need a little bit of uh, a finessing versus the other one is that person that's not the genetic freak. They might need that complex environment to become more acclimated and assimilated to their environment. Next, we're going to talk about light before heavy. And this could be metaphor. This could be everything else. And this kind of goes into that progressive overload. But I do think there's an element of light has a connotation of motor and heavy has a connotation of biomotor. And I look at it from the dynamic of show me you can before I start to add weight, add speed, or add duration. I need to at least fractal out what your ability to do something is before we start to push you to threshold. And whether I do a functional movement screen or whether I do a basic competency screen is probably the point here. And you should check out our movement screen we did with Ben Clarefield interview because that was a really good one. But the truth is, is when I look at, all right, well, that person's lifting heavy now. I wonder if they had the ability to do that in the first place. Like technique doesn't look good when it's heavy. I don't know if it's good, it was good when it was light. It's the thought process here. And essentially, you're just giving yourself peace of mind. After that, slow before fast. And it's the same logic, right? It's going to get intense. So if we're looking at it from the, the threshold of, can you do it static? Can you do it at very slow paces or slow speeds? And then we start to add the influence of speed. And this goes into that drill work versus running at full speed. Can they do an A skip? Not saying they can sprint fast, but I'm just saying, well, that's one thing I know they can do. And maybe they can hit frontside mechanics if I just change the environment. 
and then you go into like a Bosch type deal where you look at putting, putting, inf you influence the system to get more of what you want. So it's this reflexive environment that I'm going to get you into a posture or challenge that pattern in a, in a really novel or probably innovative way, ultimately get what we want. And then lastly, stable before unstable. And to me, this is just as much metaphor as it is actual literal, right? The idea when we start to present our program to our athletes may not be received in the way that we want it to be, right? They don't have a lot of faith in us or they don't have a lot of confidence or trust in us. That'd be a very unstable relationship. Same thing if like, okay, well, I could throw them on a BOSU ball and I could do it with their eyes closed and I could hold an unstable or un, a unstable load like a earthquake bar or bamboo bar. On the other end, it's they have a lot of confidence with me, almost like dogmatic. And they have this really simple, easy, executable movement like a leg press. And the continuum is based off, again, where they're at. Are they extremely robust from the motor pattern perspective and they just need to develop the prerequisite strength and, and all the things that go into it? Probably want more stable environments. Probably like, I need to develop tissue tolerance in stable environments over doing unstable environments. I'm not going to create the prerequisite, prerequisite amount of tension to create the tissues to get that person. But I'm not worried about unstable environments because they're really developed motor pattern-wise. Versus that person that's in the other end, it's, they really struggle with moving in open environments. Okay, I need to get them in unstable things to be better. You know, doing more single leg, doing more unstable loads, doing just more nuance within the training. So breakdown here, and we're thinking about progression, we're thinking about you know, what our job is. You know, we're the ones that are the ultimate Sherpa towards the development. We're the ones who have the ability to see the trees through the forest. We're the ones who can go that, go to the end and go, okay, this is what I need today. We can reverse engineer the process. And that's contingent upon where they're at on that given day. Are they really athletic? Are they really robust from a motor pattern perspective? Okay, you know, you're gonna have to probably think about this one and go, we're probably better served to do very stable, very, very slow, very light uh, things, you know? And sometimes they kind of, they can be inverted, right? So stable might be offset with, I can go heavier. Uh, slow might be offset because I can go heavier, or vice versa. Versus that other person that's really, really uh, just not as equipped from a bio, uh, from a, just a motor pattern perspective Okay, well, I'm going to need to challenge them and I need to get them implicit learning where they have to really think and react to their environment. Okay, well, they need to develop some robust things. And I'll, I'll leave it with this. And this is something in education that you have to go through a lot and the styles of education and looking at it from mathematics. And for the folks that don't know, I have a math degree. And one of the great debates we have and this is personally for me, is westernized mathematics is basically taught just like the alphabet. It's more memorization, right? Do we really understand what two plus two is or do we just memorize that equals four, right? Mathematic 
addition tables is not really understanding the, the digits associated with it or the integers versus specifically Chinese is integer based. Is you understand the key fundamental individual component of one and then you add another one to it and then you add another one to it and you add another one to it, you get four. It's not two plus two, it's one, one plus one, one. Now, where that manifests into is, you know, young people have a better perspective of what integers mean versus memorizing something and not really understanding the point. Like, they have a hard time of associating memorizing 2 plus 2 equals 4 with balancing their checkbook or looking at complex statistics. On the other end, it goes into maybe pedagogy of music. So, just like the Russians, westernized societies go, okay, let's learn how to hold the piano or how to sit in the piano or hold the violin. Let's learn the chord, let's learn the, the notes, let's learn the keys, let's learn the strings. Versus maybe a, a Japanese culture might go, I'm going to play you a song and see if you can reproduce it. And that process right there is really unique. And maybe people just work really hard to reproduce it. And I think it goes into this next level of like, as a coach, as a practitioner, you know, I think in westernized cultures is this, this idea of authority and, and the perspective of having an influence on your environment versus more Eastern cultures, maybe not as immersed in that logic of top-down hierarchical and I'm stereotyping here, but this idea that it's more meritocratic and everyone has an influence on the environment, everyone has a say, everyone's everyone's focused on each other's development, kind of thing. You know the 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 general perspective is when we think about what our job is. It's hopefully getting to the point B in the most efficient and safest manner possible, and the progressions that we use. And a large part shouldn't be based off of what I'm good at or what I prefer, but what the situation entails. And that's a hard one to really go break down. Because as we start to look at the end result, if you're just a tour de force and you have an incredible charisma and persona about you and people believe in you, chances are you're going to be fine. If you don't have that, you're a young coach of trying to get your, and you take this approach of being more organic and malleable, being water with your environment, you might not be perceived as someone who has as much influence as a person who's just very, very like domineering and, and assertive and authoritative. But what's the point if neither are really making themselves to point B. Or one is and the other one's not. Results matter. Understanding what the actual result, intended result was matters. But my advice for everyone on this is if we can marry yourself to anything 
marry yourself to outcomes, not solutions. And what I mean by that is understand the means to the end. Training is just a means. How we, how we adjust training variables, how we, how we adjust training progressions, that differentiates us. But understanding more so what the ultimate goal is, is what really makes someone exceptional versus just good in certain situations. All right, I hope this one helps, guys. This one is a critical one. Remember, it's not the same as progressive overload. It's more biomechanical in nature. It's more thinking about what the environment's going to be. All right, guys, well, I appreciate you. Make sure uh, you check out Practical and then uh, keep plugging away. we got Joe Conley on. This is a really good module to dive into. Uh, I would compare this one relatively side-by-side -side with progressive overload. And if you want to start with Joe Conley and Eric Hernandez, I think you're going to be really well served on this one because they're both really, really brilliant minds. And I think they bring a lot of really good value to, to training. And then you can start to work backwards to case study, practical and principle. But at that point, you probably have already listened to the other three. So the point is mute here. All right, guys, appreciate you.